0: that's true unless you're a first-time guest with us. If you are, then rather than putting that slip in the offering bags when, it's, when they're passed, we'd encourage you after we're done here to go out into the lobby and go to the information welcome counter, and uh, they'll take that slip from you and give you a small gift and just let you know that we're so thrilled to have you with us. So thanks for coming, okay? Well, if you haven't got too settled in, let me encourage you to stand up. And uh, greet those around you, let them know that you're happy to see them. Well, hey everybody, it's uh, It's great to be here today, good to see you guys, and uh, welcome to all of you. If you uh, are new here, you don't know me, my name is Steve, and I am one of the pastors on our pastoral team here. Hey, and I got the privilege of bringing God's Word to you today, so I'm excited about that. We're a church that uh, believes and teaches right out of the Scriptures, and uh, we make no apologies for that. We believe that God's truth is more important than human opinion. And uh, we're looking into God's Word today. So if you haven't pulled the study guide out of your worship folder yet, go ahead and do that. And we are in a study of the New Testament book of Romans, and I've titled the message today, It's Just Different Now. So would you say that with me? It's just different now. You ever heard anybody say that? Uh, I've heard people say it who just added a child to their family. Pastor Steve, it's just different now. (laughs) Uh, I've heard people say that who just entered the empty nest phase. Steve, it's just different now. It's going to take some getting used to, I think. I was talking to a guy last week who had just recently retired after working for 40 years, and he said, it's just different now. (laughs) It's like a new normal. A lot of times when we hear a comment like that, it kind of has a negative connotation, right? Like, this is kind of harder than I thought it was going to be. But in this book of Romans that we've been studying for quite a while now, we're finding that that the author of this book, Paul the Great Apostle, is basically saying that same thing. It's just different now. But instead of having a negative connotation, he says it in a very positive way. He says, now that you have been justified by faith, In Jesus Christ, now that you've entrusted your lives to Jesus, it's just different now, but in a good way. There's a new way to live now. It's it's the new way of the Spirit, is what he called it. The new way of the Spirit, and it was meant to be the new normal for all of the people of God. So really, it is different now because of Christ. I'd like us to read out loud together the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. It's going to come up here on the screen, so let's, let's read this aloud together, beginning uh, with verse 12 of Romans 8. Here we go. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature, the flesh, to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, the flesh, you will die. that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This is the word of the Lord. In other words, it's just different now for those of us who are in Christ. Why? Because as he said in verse 14, the children of God are all being led by the Spirit of God. We're being led by the Holy Spirit. That is what God intends to be the new normal for his people, being led by the Holy Spirit. Every moment, of every day. Now in your life, I don't know how much teaching you've had on the Holy Spirit, but we've begun to see this in Romans. The Holy Spirit was first mentioned in Romans chapter 5. Back in verse 5 of that chapter, it says, God's love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that good news? That the Spirit of God who indwells believers speaks that word of God's love to us. It helps us to know how much we are loved. And then this, this new way of the Spirit that we're called to live in was mentioned in chapter 7. In verse 6 it says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve, here it is, in the new way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. The new way of the Spirit its just different now. And then in Romans 8, last week, we saw this scripture, verses 3 and 4, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. I believe that's the flesh of Jesus. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here it is. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So what we're learning in Romans is there are basically two ways that people can live their lives. Two life-dominating forces that we can allow to govern our lives. There's the flesh and there's the Spirit. That you're either in the flesh or you're in the Spirit. You're either walking in the flesh or you're walking in the Spirit. And in this same chapter, Paul went on to elaborate on that. He said, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? There's two ways that people can live their lives. There's living your life dominated by the flesh, or living your life dominated and under the control, under the influence, we could say, of the Holy Spirit. And there's a table there, a chart there, and you kind of see the contrast that Paul lays out to us. So I've got three big thoughts I want all of us to consider today in light of this. First, all of God's true children have been given a resident, empowering guide. Amen? To live within them and and to lead their lives. And that empowering guide's name is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Second, this indwelling spirit aims to lead lead God's people into a different kind of living than the old life under the flesh. He aims to lead us into a life of pleasing God. And then number three, and here's where the rubber meets the road, we can each choose to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit or to resist it. To yield to it or to resist it. I think in today's passage what Paul presents to us are some of the ways that this new life of walking in the Spirit is different from that old way of walking in the flesh. It's just different now, he's saying, with us having a new leader in our lives. A new leader who's going to guide us into some new places as we yield the controls to him and follow his lead. And you've heard me say this before. I envision it as driving my life, and this yielding to the Spirit is like taking my hands off the steering wheel and saying, you drive my life. You be in control of my life now. But I think it kind of begs the question, doesn't it? If we yield to the the leading of the Holy Spirit, where's he going to take us? Where's he going to drive us? Where where are we going to go? And that's the question I believe Paul answers here. And in these verses that we're looking at today, I see three places, three of many, but, but three places that the Holy Spirit is going to take us and lead us if we yield to his control in our lives. So here we go. The Spirit of God, number one, wants to take all of God's people to a place of deeper holiness. Would you say that with me? Deeper holiness. After all, what's the Holy Spirit's first name? Holy. He's the Holy Spirit. It just makes sense that if he comes to take up residence in our lives, he's going to lead us to a place of deeper holiness, right? He's going to take us from a place of tolerating sin in our lives to a place of aggressively fighting against sin in order to kill it. That's what he says in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors. We do have an obligation in this life, but it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, there's the power sword. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, or one translation says the misdeeds of the body, then you will live. So this is telling me that if if I ignore the Holy Spirit, if I just ignore Him and just let my fleshly appetites and my my selfish impulses dominate my life, then I'm not going to end up experiencing the life, the life of God that he has for me. But if I choose to be a spirit-led person, to be under the control of God's Holy Spirit each day, moment by moment in fact, then he will lead me deeper into holiness of life. And I think a good working definition of holiness is just loving what God loves and hating what God hates. And that's the place where real life is found, where real life is experienced, God's life. That's what he's saying here. Does everybody see this? It says, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. The deeds of the body. We know what those are. Those those impulses, those inclinations, those choices, those decisions, those habits that just really feed the flesh. When I hear the word flesh, my mind just says selfishness. That's what it means to live under the domination of flesh, is to be selfish, just to be self-absorbed. And we all have some experience with that, unfortunately, don't we? Being selfish. Now, it is true, like it says here, we're no longer debtors to the flesh. We who know Jesus have been cut free, cut loose, liberated from any former obligation we had to serve sin. We've been learning about that. That was the theme of several whole chapters in Romans. But we can all testify that sin still hangs around, doesn't it? It still hangs around. Sin still remains in our flesh. Sin has not yet been totally destroyed. It aims to take the members of our bodies captive again if we let it. Our eyes, our hands, our ears, our mind, our feet. But the difference is is that now we have a choice. Back in the old days, the B.C. days, the days before Christ, the days before we we had the Spirit living in us, we had an obligation. We were were slaves to sin, obligated to give in. But but now, Paul is saying, now that we're redeemed, we're free to choose. That's why Paul wrote earlier in this same book of Romans in chapter 6, "'Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions.'" He's saying you have a choice as believers. He said, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. But I think the question is, where does the power come from to do that, to do that? Where does the power come from to make that choice? You know what I found as a pastor? I found that it's not enough to just look at people and say, stop it. (laughs) Stop sinning, cut it out, stop doing evil, stop doing bad stuff. that's, That's just law, right? It's not that it doesn't need to be said, it's that it's not enough. There's no power in that. Where does the power come from? God is so gracious to us, isn't he? When a person is saved, they receive as a gift from God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the third member of the Holy Trinity, right? No less God than God the Father, no less God than God the Son. And when we are born again, redeemed, justified by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit in us. God in us. That's quite a thought, isn't it? So when we say it's just different now. <laughs> that's one of the main reasons why God comes to live in us. He becomes a permanent resident of our souls. And he comes to provide the power, the spiritual power that it takes to live a holy life. There's a new power source now to go along with our new inclination to to obey our new master, Jesus. And when we plug into that power source, and I believe we plug into it by saying, Holy Spirit, take over my life today. Take control of my life today. I yield the controls to you. When we do that, we're going to find a new power to be able to say no to sin and yes to God. And now we obey not out of duty, not grudgingly, but out of delight. I want to please God, don't you? It's just different now, because we have the Spirit in us. I wonder if there's anybody here in the room who just wants to love God more. Anybody like that? Anybody who wants to, to, to get rid of the sin that's, that's in your life? That's true of me, I know, and I know it's true of many, many of you. But it's only the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led believer who not only wants that, but can do it. Kind of a parallel passage from scriptures in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. And in this passage Paul gets a little bit more specific about this these sins. What are the first 3 words of this passage? Put to death so violent. Kill it. That's what he says. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, what is fleshly in you. And now he starts naming Sin, sexual immorality, put it to death, kill it, drive it all the way out of your life, he says. Impurity, that has to do with, with our thought life and, and where our minds go. Passion, that's, there's good passion, that's not what this is talking about here, it's talking, talking about sexual passion that's outside the bounds of, of marriage. Evil desire, covetousness, put it to death, he says. Greed, you got greed in your heart, kill it. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Of course, that's the source of all sin, right? When you trace it down, we're worshiping something other than God. Verse 6 on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These these are sins. This is evil that deserves judgment. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8 but now, insert, it's just different. But now you must put them all away. Here's more. Anger. Oh man. So we didn't mind so much when we was talking about sexual immorality and that kind of stuff. Right now it's anger. Put that, kill that too. And wrath and malice, that's the intent to hurt somebody else and make them pay. And slander, that's um, defaming someone on Facebook or on social media. That's the modern version of it. Tear somebody else's else's reputation down and put away obscene talk from your mouth and do not lie to one another so put away deception and lying and posing and all that seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator so what are we called as believers to do with sin what are we called to do kill it put it to death put sin to death in your life and i think of all the old testament metaphors for this some of you are familiar with these you know when god called the, his people israel to drive the canaanites all the way out of the land that was not only for their benefit that's for our benefit that's a metaphor drive sin all the way out of your life i remember talking with a guy once who was struggling with alcohol addiction and i was in his living room and i was i was calling him and pleading with him to, to kill this. And he said, I'm trying, but I know I'm, I'm weak sometimes, so I do keep some alcohol in my fridge just in case I get weak. <laughs> I said, well, you're, then you're not ready to kill it yet. Drive it all the way out of your life. Or some of you will be familiar with this metaphor from the Old Testament. Hack King Agag to pieces. Wasn't very pleasant for Agag, but for us hack sin to pieces kill it drive it all the way out of your life this is what we're called to as believers but with a new power source inside of us the old Puritan John Owen wrote this you've heard this before be killing sin or sin will be killing you those Puritans got it right on a lot of levels didn't they Pastor Jay, a Puritan in his own right, said this a few weeks back. (laughs) He said this, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And many of us could testify to the truth of that statement. But it looks so tantalizing in the moment, right? (laughs) Right? It looks so enticing in the moment. It promises so much pleasure in the moment. Surely just a little dabbling won't hurt. But when that's my mindset, I like to ask myself, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure, Steve, that that just a little dabbling won't hurt? Are you sure that sin doesn't have cords and chains like it says in Proverbs? Are you sure that you want to grieve the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you? Are you sure you can scoop hot coals into your lap and not get burned? Of course there's pleasure in sin for a season, for a time, of course. That's why it's enticing, right? But when we give in, it says in the end we end up with a mouthful of gravel. It just doesn't deliver what it promised. And so, if we're the Spirit-led children of God, we're going to see temptations in our lives, which will come. It's not a sin to be tempted, by the way. Sometimes Christian people feel like they get down on themselves because they're tempted. Look, Jesus was tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. You will in your human flesh be tempted, and so will I. The sin comes when we yield, when we cave in, when we give in. But if we're the spirit-led children of God, we're going to see temptation more and more, not as an opportunity to feed our flesh again, but as an opportunity to grow in holiness. As an opportunity to say yes to God and no to sin. As an opportunity to discourage Satan. Wouldn't you like to discourage Satan and cause him to give up on you and feel like you're a lost cause? I'll go mess with somebody else. Make no mistake, when we're walking in accordance with the spirit, he's going to take us to a place of deeper holiness. little sidebar here. Some people, I think they're deceived, some people want to pit the spirit of God against the word of God. And they'll ask this question, they'll say, Pastor Steve, which is it? Am I supposed to live by the spirit or am I supposed to live by the word? Is it the spirit or the word? The spirit or the word? What do you think my answer is? Yes! Don't pit the Spirit against the Word. The Spirit wrote the Word, for crying out loud. They're not in conflict. To couch it in this either-or language is to create an artificial dichotomy that doesn't exist. It's not Spirit or Word. It's Spirit and Word. And also, let me say this. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to do something that the Word of God forbids or frowns on. I've heard people say this, well, I know what the Bible says about this lifestyle choice, but I've been praying about it, and the Spirit told me it's okay for me. And I always say, well, that must be another Spirit, (laughs) because the Holy Spirit and the Holy Bible are not in conflict. The Holy Spirit is not schizophrenic. In fact, The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, especially the memorized Word of God that we've hidden in our hearts. He uses the Word to mold our character and shape our hearts more and more and more into the image of Jesus. The Word of God is a tool that the Spirit of God uses to shape us into the image of Jesus. So, holiness. Holiness, that's where the Spirit's going to lead you if you yield to Him, if you live under the influence of the Spirit. A life of deeper holiness. There's another place the Spirit wants to take God's people. Holiness, yes, for sure, but also the Spirit wants to take you and I to a place of greater assurance. Greater assurance of our salvation. Praise God for this. I've been praying for you this week with regard to this very thing, to take people from a place of fearful doubting to a place of confident that you're in God's family. Like, I, I, I am one of His. I do belong to Jesus. This is found in, beginning in verse 14. This matter of greater assurance. It says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, or we could say the sons and daughters of God, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Talking about fearing God as just your judge, your condemning judge. But you received the spirit of sonship. You're in the family. And by him we cry, what? Abba, Father. I love this verse 16. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In one sense, this is the whole overarching theme of Romans chapter 8, being assured of our salvation, being confident that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know, down deep in the core of my being that I am saved, that I am in the family of God. And what we see here is that this confirming of our salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit in us, right? It says He speaks to our own spirit and gives us assurance of our membership in God's family. Many of you know that that word Abba, well, for one, it was the name of a Christian rock group back in the 70s, but it is the Aramaic word for dad, daddy, father, sweet term of of loving endearment, a family term. And I love how Paul just throws it in here. It tells us that the Holy Spirit wants to calm our doubting hearts And infuse our spirits with great assurance that God is indeed our heavenly daddy. That we're in the family. That we are his, I'll say, adopted sons and daughters, right? That we've got a reserved seat at the family table forever. Abba. Daddy. I want you to just think about your earthly dad for a minute. Got a picture of him in your mind? Your dad? Was he a good dad? Was he a great dad? Was he just an okay dad? Was he a poor father? Maybe like a guy I talked with this week, maybe uh, you lost your father early on. This guy was two when his father died. He grew up without a dad. But I want to say this. No matter how well your earthly dad reflected God to you or how poorly your earthly dad reflected God to you, the Holy Spirit in you as a Christian wants you to know that if you're truly in Christ, you have a perfect Father up in heaven who will always be there for you. Always be there for you. You can feel secure in His love for you because His love Unlike earthly love. His love is not conditional. It's not based on your behavior, your performance. He doesn't say, I'll love you as long as you behave. Or I'll love you until you get a B. He says, I love you, period. That's your Father's love in heaven. No earthly father images God the Father perfectly. No earthly father does. Everyone has father wounds. But oh, how our hearts can be healed when we get to know Abba, Daddy, in heaven. You see, what happens when a person trusts Jesus to be their substitute, to be their sacrifice for their sins, there's this huge shift Not just in our view of God, but in God's view of us. He goes from being our judge to our dad. Isn't that beautiful? As a righteous judge, he already punished our innocent older brother in our place. He already punished him in our place so that he could relate to us now based on grace and not on law and not on works. It's just different now, now that God is your daddy. And so, like me, whenever you need to repent of your sin because you caved in to that temptation, once again, your heavenly dad is there to hear you, to hear your confession, to forgive and cleanse you and to help you. And when you need to cry out for his strength because your tanks are empty and you've got nothing left to give, your heavenly dad is right there with his sufficient supply for you. And when you're falling back into the old pattern of being driven by fear, fear of a condemning judge, or fear of men, fear of other people, then the Spirit of God wants to open your eyes and lead you to call out to your Abba, Father, and say, Daddy, I need you. I need you, help me, remind me of your unconditional, relentless, and as the song says, reckless love for you and for me. We know what this passage all but begs me to ask you a question. And the question is, are you 100% certain that you belong to God? 100%. Are you absolutely sure? You know how I like to say it. Do you know that you know that you know that you know in the core in your gut that you belong to God, that you're saved, that you're redeemed, that you're born again, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? The way I was taught back in Bible college to ask this question was this. If you died tonight, are you 100% sure that you'd be in heaven? It's a fair question. My old pastor used to stand up and say, I'm as sure of going to heaven as if I'd already been there 10,000 years. And you could interpret that as being kind of cocky or being kind of arrogant, but it was just a confident assurance that I know where I stand with God. And that that can change your whole life when you have that kind of assurance. Many of you have that in this room. Many of you have that assurance that you are indeed saved, but you know what? Some of you don't. You know people who do, and you're kind of envious of them. It's like, why do they have this and I don't have it? How can I get that? Maybe you're one who lives with plaguing doubts about where you stand with God, and and the best you can say is, well, I hope, I hope God will accept me someday. I, I, I hope I'm one of His. Maybe you've heard it said that a pastor's job, you ever heard this? A pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So I want to do a little bit of that afflicting the comfortable for a moment, that work, because here's the truth about all this. Some people should doubt their salvation. You know why? Because they're not saved. Their doubts are well-founded. Doubt is actually their friend. Their, Their doubts are really a gift from God to lead them to question something that ought to be questioned. Maybe they look at their lives and they don't see much evidence of all, at all of the Spirit of God in their, their life. Very little hunger for holiness. Very little love for Jesus or love for His people or His Word. Little proof that they've ever truly been born again. Maybe you see, look into your heart and you see, I still love my sin. Some people are lost. And so if that describes you, I'd say pay attention to your doubts. They were sent to help you. Your doubt's like a, a giant flashing billboard to alert you to your true condition. It's God's mercy to plague your mind with that kind of doubt. You see, there are different kinds of doubt. Not all doubt is bad. Yes, some doubt is bad. Some kind of doubting is bad from Satan. It's satanic. It's meant to trip up true believers and debilitate them by suggesting lies to their minds that God doesn't accept you. God God doesn't really approve of you. Those are doubts where the enemy is trying to drown out the assuring voice of the Spirit in our hearts. That's one kind of doubt that we need to be delivered from. But the other doubt is actually from God, and it's intended to awaken people to their need to truly be converted to Christ. And so you hear that and you say, which kind of doubt do I have, Steve? And I look at you and say, I don't know. I'm not sure. But what I would encourage you to do, if you have nagging doubts about your salvation, is in a few minutes come to one of our prayer partners and ask them to pray over you that God would, would reveal to you which, which source of doubt you have. Is it, is it godly doubt or is it satanic doubt? Is it true or is it false? I think a good father would want to answer that prayer, don't you? He'd want you to know where you stand. And if you come to the conclusion that I'm not really born again, I'm not really saved, then you can give your life to Jesus right in that moment. And he will have you. He will have you. What I know is that the spirit of truth wants you to know the truth. I so want, as a pastor, I so want for you to be able to walk in the confidence that you know where you stand with God. It's a whole different ballgame. It's it's just different now when you're sure of where you stand with God. I want to see you, I want to see your confidence increase that you're a blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. As you see maturity in your life and growth and increasing hunger for holiness, as you see your heart loving Jesus more and hating sin more, those are the birthmarks of a truly born-again person. And when you see those in your life, the Spirit will point it out and say, See, you do bear the family resemblance. You do look like your father. You are your father's daughter. You are your father's son. You're a redeemed child of God. What is better than that? Knowing that you know that you know that you're in the family. So Steve, I do want to follow the Spirit's leading. Where is He going to lead me? He's going to lead you for sure to deeper holiness in your life. He's going to lead you. He wants to lead you into greater assurance of your salvation. That's a work of the Spirit too. And then finally, here's another place the Spirit wants to take us. Just briefly, this one. He wants, us, wants to take us to a place, number three, of the longer perspective. The longer view. He wants to take us to a place of from focusing on the struggles we have in this life to eagerly anticipating the glory of the next life. Say, so where do you get that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 17. <laughs> now, if we are children, then we are, what's the word? Heirs. What, what, an, an heir has what awaiting for them? An inheritance, right? We're heirs if we're God's children. Heirs of God, co-heirs with our older brother, Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. And then Paul adds this note, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And what I believe Paul is saying here in its context is that the Spirit of God who indwells His people is constantly working in us to open our eyes more and more to take the longer view of things, to have an eternal perspective, especially when it comes to the hardships and disappointments and persecutions of this life. So here is a word from God's Spirit To all of us today, okay? A word for you. This life is not all there is. I conducted a memorial service yesterday for a member of this church who was a believer and I was glad to be able to look out at the folks who were there and remind them there is more to come. In fact, there is much more to come. This life here is a blip on the screen of eternity. In fact, I would say this, this life is not even the main event. That's hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? Because this, is this is our life, right? This is our existence. But if we believe the scriptures, this life's not even the main event. It's actually more like the rehearsal for the main event, which is yet to come. And the main event is the full and final manifestation of the kingdom of God that is still to come and that will last forever. That's the main event. And for all who are truly saved, truly justified by faith in Jesus, and who are walking in the Spirit, we need to be reminded that there is much glory to come. Much glory to come when we enter that future phase of God's kingdom. It says we're heirs. That means our Father, our Abba, Daddy, Father in heaven is saving up for us, storing up for us an inheritance for each and every one of His true children. You say, what's it going to be? I don't know. All I can tell you is that it will be immeasurably priceless. And it won't be like earthly inheritances that fade away over time, that you kind of enjoy less and less. This is one that you'll enjoy at the beginning when you first enter that final manifestation of the kingdom, and you'll be able to enjoy it more and more and more and more as time goes on. It's just different. It's just different. Think of that. Glory awaits you. And here's the thing, that promised inheritance in the future can change our outlook now. That's his point here. If we let it, if we let the Spirit open our eyes to this, and here's why. When all of that future glory of our inheritance is placed on a scale, on one side of it, and all the sorrows and pains and hurts and disheartenments of this life are placed on the other side of this scale, Paul says, you know what? There is no comparison. There is no comparison. Future glory trumps present suffering every day. That's why there have been martyrs down through the centuries who have been willing to die for Christ because their eyes were fixed on future glory, not present pain. Let me share with you the Spirit-led perspective on our present problems. How many of you have present problems? I do. We all do, right? Listen to this spirit-led perspective on this from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For this light momentary affliction, there you go, light, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, heavy, beyond all comparison, 10 million to one, As we look, not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They won't last. But the things that are unseen, that you can only see with spiritual eyes, those are eternal. They last forever. And in my notes after that, I put these three words, oh my goodness. Who thinks like that? Who has that outlook on Trials and afflictions and hardships and disappointments in this life. Paul would answer this, the people who think like that are those who are being led by the Spirit into having the longer view of things, the longer perspective of things. Those who see with spiritual eyes out beyond this life to the next. You know what I've learned about myself? It's just my own sinful flesh that tries to get me all focused on the situation here and now. Why did she say that? Why did he post that? Why did they do that? It's just my own sinful flesh that, that makes me myopic and I can only see the here and now. That turkey, you know. Well, I'm not talking, it wasn't any of you. Somebody, somebody out there. But when I catch myself and say, wait, wait, Holy Spirit, you take over my thinking. You you give me God's perspective on this. Then I can look out far beyond that. And and, and it's not that these present problems don't matter. It's just that they're not that important in the grand scheme of things. (laughs) They're like this. Light momentary afflictions compared to the eternal weight of glory of our inheritance that's waiting for us. And of course, the the center of our inheritance is God himself, right? He gives himself to us. One man said, you can put up with just about any irritation in the here and now if you just look further down the road. If you focus on what God has in store for you in his coming kingdom, you're going to be blown away by what God has in store for you. There's a verse that's both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says this, Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Mind has not comprehended. Heart has not imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. You have no idea, and I have no idea. But then it concludes with this, But God has revealed it to us through His Spirit. his spirit I'm telling you it's going to be better than you ever imagined but it takes having the longer view to appreciate it when you're going through something tough in this life right Holy Spirit give me your eyes to see this right size my present troubles put them into proper perspective I love the Holy Spirit don't you I hope you do. I hope you you grow to love the Holy Spirit. He's a resident in your heart if you know Christ. In this passage, Paul only scratches the surface of all of the things that the Spirit of God does in the lives of God's people. But here's the thing. Our part in all of this, the Spirit's going to do his work. I don't lay awake at night wondering if God's going to do what he should do. He's going to do his part. The question is, Will I cooperate with His work? Will you cooperate with His work? Paul says the Spirit is leading you if you are one who is in Christ. The question is, are you following? Are you yielding the controls to the Spirit of God? Are you saying, yes, Lord, drive my life? I put some statements there on the back side of your um, study guide as we conclude today. And I wonder if you can identify with any of these in fact I'm going to ask you to to identify kind of locate yourself with any of these statements here based on what you've heard from God's word today how about this first one I thank God that I really do have a strong desire to be led by the spirit in my life and to follow his leading anybody like that anybody have a strong desire to be led by the spirit I sure do I know many of you do Some of you might identify with this next statement. I struggle with doubting my salvation. Is that you? I sometimes wonder if I really am a Christian. I need to know the truth of where those doubts are coming from. And if you identify with that statement, if you struggle with doubts of your salvation, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to ask you to come and let a prayer partner pray over you and ask your father to show you the truth of where those doubts are coming from. Are they from God? to drive you to Jesus so that you'll know that you're saved? Or are they from Satan who's suggesting lies to you and trying to paralyze you and debilitate you? How about this third statement? I wonder if some of you identify with this. I have struggles with seeing and relating to God as my dad, my father. That's not a comforting image to me because of my own experience with my own earthly father. But something in me wants to see God that way and, I, and believe in him in that way. Anybody identify with that? We tend to overlay the view of our earthly father over the heavenly father, right? And we've got to learn to separate the two. Because your earthly dad is not your heavenly dad. How about this? On my own, I've been failing to beat my sins, and I know I need the Spirit's help and strength to fight it and to kill it. And if you identify with that statement, my encouragement to you would be to uncover your sin to a trusted confidant, because as long as sin remains covered up, it remains unconquered. You've got to bring it into the light with the right person, and that will begin to set you on the course of victory over that sin. And then this last one, I wonder who identifies with this. I need the Spirit of God to open my eyes to the longer view of things because I'm getting weighed down with the cares of this life and it's stealing my joy. And the Spirit of God wants to take you to a different place. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If the Spirit of God spoke something crystal clear to your heart today would you lift your hands i'd just like to see if the spirit of god said something to you today many many of you praise god for that you can put your hands down and father god through your holy spirit i pray if there are any in this room who are doubting their salvation chronically plagued by those nagging doubts would you give them the courage to step out and come and be prayed for holy spirit would you do that Lord, may they not leave today without at least knowing the source of those doubts so they can take appropriate action. Lord, I pray that some would come to know Jesus today and be saved and know that they know that they know that they're in your family. Spirit of God, even as you've already done, do your work in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.